Romans 14, 13 through 23. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and proved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because he, the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Oh, thank you. A few of you are awake. Hey, it is good to see you this morning and to be able to worship our King together. And we are in Romans 14 and, and looking at kind of this is Walk in Love Part 2. This last week we began kind of walking through this beautiful passage. And there's so much just richness that's here for us as the church today. And my hope and prayer is that we would just grow in our love for Jesus, but also grow in our love for one another through our time in the text this morning. So uh, almost seven years ago, actually more than seven years ago, going on eight years ago now, Katie's in my life radically changed. So uh, we actually in 2011 came here. We moved from Raleigh, North Carolina to get to come on staff uh, as a student pastor. And that was just a massive shift in our lives. We were transitioning states. I had just finished seminary. We just had our first child. We were buying our first house. This is the first time we were going to be uh, just full-time vocation in ministry. So all kinds of new things for us. And, and one of the new things that was a huge advantage when you go from being a part-time student to full-time is we got the, the gift of insurance. Amen. Uh, some of you know what that's like in the days when you really can't afford insurance or it's just like the, the worst case scenario insurance. Some of you are there. And so we, we had health insurance, which was a, a big different thing. We could actually go to the dentist again after like seven years and all that kind of stuff. Just kidding. Uh, and so we, we, uh, when we got here and kind of got settled in, uh, I've been able to put it off for several years because of our insurance, but we didn't have, but now we did, and Katie told me, listen, you're going to go in and you're going to get a physical. And again, like I had fought this for a long time, I don't really like the doctor, I hate needles, I hate getting shots, I despise it, anybody else in the house with me on that? Okay, good, you guys are my people, uh, you understand. And so I fought as hard as I could, but you know, it, you have to do what you have to do, and so went and did all the things that you do there, the awkward conversations, the breathing deeper when you don't want to breathe deeper, and coughing when you don't want to cough, and just all the different things that happen in that setting, and it ends in, in having some 
and blood drawn. And so um, usually when that has happened in my past, like they would have me like lay down and, and do that kind of thing. But for some reason, this day, the nurse that was there decided to just have me sit in the chair next to the bed um, and to take my blood. And I'm trying to be as brave as I can, you know, act like it's no big deal, but it's a big deal. Like I, I can't stand going through this. So I'm sitting there trying to put my brave face on. And as they're going through the process, uh, she's not alone. She has a student who's with her as well, who's getting to practice on me. Yay me, right? Like that's just the day keeps getting better. And so they, they do the thing and, and take what they need to take. And then they walk to the other side of the room to, to go ahead and label and do all that kind of stuff. And I'm not feeling too good at this point. And I'm sitting there and I can hear the older lady talking to the younger lady saying, now the one thing you want to make sure you do is that you stay with the patient at all times in case they pass out. And that's all I remember. <laughs> Next thing I know, I have my head in a doctor's lap. I have nurses all around me. I have people fanning me, trying to shove chocolate down my mouth, trying to bring me back out. Because apparently, and I wish I had video replay of this, I was sitting in the chair and about the time she said that, I just slumped over and went headfirst into the floor. So that's, that's what happened. Yes, it was not a good day. And um, so when I finally got home, I got home, and I'm like, white as a ghost. Like, my face is red where I've hit the floor. And Katie's like, what happened to you? And I was like, this is what happens when I go to the doctor. I told you not to make me go to the doctor. The reason why I wanted to share uh, this, this kind of funny story this morning is because I, I think it, it helps illustrate in a different form what's happening in this passage that we're reading. And so if you have your Bible with you, I just want you to look at, at chapter 14, verse 15, because we'll get into context a little bit more of what's going on, but, but this is really important for us to grab hold of. And so this, this leads us into our big truth this morning. And our big truth is the same one as last week. It's a continuation that living sacrifices walk in love. Living sacrifices walk in love. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we're called to be living sacrifices. Being a living sacrifice is our acceptable worship. It's worship unto God. We lay our lives down. We love God with our all. And the overflow of that, as we're walking through chapter 13, now chapter 14, even as we go into chapter 15, is that we are to love one another. We are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. But there's a problem that's happening in the church at Rome that Paul is writing to address, and he's bringing us into it, because this is also a problem that you and I face, and I want to show you why. Verse 15, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, and here's kind of the key phrase, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So Paul is challenging the church, and he's calling the church out, and he's saying, listen, because of this issue, and we'll get into the issue in a minute, because of this issue that's going on in areas of freedom and disagreement and disunity and division that's beginning to happen, you guys are not walking in love. In fact, you're going to the next step. You are grieving one another. You are wounding one another. You are causing one another sorrow. And I, I just want to set the record straight. I promise you that morning when I was in the doctor's office, that nurse was not walking in love with the way that she treated me. I left very grieved that morning, right? But, but here, here's the reason why I want to tell that story, and here's, here's kind of the connection I think is really important for us to get. Honestly, that, that nurse, she was really kind, 
And I really believe that, that it wasn't just a job for her. Like, she cared about me. She cared about her patients. She wanted to help me thrive, and that's why she was there doing her job. And so she was concerned for me. She cared about me. She wanted to see me healthy. She wanted to help me. Not only was she concerned about me, but she wanted to help other people know how to take care of people like me. So she's in there training a young nurse. She's helping her grow and her understanding of caring. But here's the crucial point, and here's the point I want us to, to wrestle with this morning as we walk through this text. She cared about me. She was teaching others how to care for people like me, but she was actually not caring for me. And I think this is often true for us in the church when we talk about love. We talk about love a lot. I think if we are going to be really honest, most of us in this room, if not all of us, you know, we'd say we're a Christian, we're a Jesus follower, and you would probably say, and I would say this, I want to be more loving. I want to love people like Jesus. I want to love people more. I want to be more self-sacrificial. That is the desire of your heart. That's the desire of my heart. And we talk about it a lot in church, right? We talk about it a lot in study groups and life groups. How can we be more loving? Not only do we talk about it, but we teach on it. We go to seminars, we go to conferences, we come into groups like we'll do this morning, and we'll talk about practical ways for how we love others. But, and here's, here's the tension that I want you to grab and catch and hold on to, and I want you to wrestle with in your heart this morning, because this is the tension I think we see in this text. If we're not careful, we will spend a lot of time desiring to love others, talking about loving others, learning about loving others, but never actually love people the way God has loved us. And in this text, the church has lost sight of what does it mean for us to love brothers and sisters with whom we disagree, and those who disagree with us, and have put their preferences, put their freedoms over actually loving one another as Christ has loved them. Why do we do this? If we genuinely want to love one another, if we genuinely want to be more loving in the way that we model the gospel, why do we do this? Why are we often distracted in the actual action of choosing to love others? Here's the reason, I think. Because love, true love, requires self-sacrifice. Love is not an emotion. Love is an action. Love is a decision. And love is a decision to lay down my preferences, lay down my desires, lay down my comfort, lay down what I want for the good of someone else. That's what love is. And this is such an important topic that, that Jesus, right before he went to the cross, he said, this will be the defining marker of my people. This will be what defines my church, my people. And we want to be a gospel church. We want to be a Jesus church. We want to be a Jesus people. This is what Jesus says in John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And he's talking about the body, brothers and sisters in Christ. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples because you're loved for one another. And so what Paul is calling this church in Rome back to, and what he's calling Tri-Cities Baptist Church back to, and what he's calling you to, and what he's calling me to, is to walk in love. That living sacrifices walk in love. Why? Because that is the way that God has shown his love for us. And so last week we wrestled through this question. 
How do we walk in love with brothers and sisters with whom we disagree? And in the first half of chapter 14, we talked about our posture, the posture of our heart, that instead of looking at our freedoms, we look at faith. Instead of judging resentment, we choose to welcome others in because Christ welcomed us in. We choose to prioritize God's glory and how all those things play out. And in the second half of chapter 14, we move from the posture of our heart to what our pursuit should be as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the question that I want us to wrestle through in the few minutes that we have together is this. How do we walk in love with brothers and sisters in Christ who disagree with us? Who disagree with our freedoms? So if you have someone else in your life, in this body, who disagrees with the way you practice your freedoms in Christ, what should your response be? What should my response be? What should our pursuit be in all things? And that's what the Apostle Paul addresses in this passage that we just read. And so what I want to do in the time that we have is just to walk through this text and just give some big ideas for what, how do we walk in love toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we're going to respond through the table. And one of the beautiful things about the Lord's table is when we come to the Lord's Supper, we don't do it alone. We come with one another to the Lord's table. And so we're going to talk about what it means to love one another, and we're actually going to do it through worship this morning. And so let's go ahead and just dive straight into our first big idea. How do we walk in love with brothers and sisters who disagree with us? First big idea from the text is this. To walk in love, we must love one another more than our freedoms. We must love one another more than we love our freedoms. And this is not an easy thing to do. Let's start in verse 13. Therefore, so in light of everything that's been said, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. So Paul begins by a summary statement. We're not going to turn our heart against other brothers and sisters. We're not going to judge. We're not going to set ourselves up as judge and jury over others because God has welcomed them. We will welcome them. We will entrust them to God. But the Apostle Paul doesn't leave it there. He doesn't say, don't just not judge one another. He now calls us to an action, but rather. So don't do this thing, but it's not enough just not to do this thing. We need to pursue something else. This is what he says. Decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother or a sister in Christ. Now, that, that let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Let's just talk about the issue for just a second for sake of context. So the issue that's happening in the church uh, is one uh, regarding vegetables. Now, uh, you, when you're planning on coming to church this morning, you probably weren't coming to talk about vegetables. That wasn't your plan. Uh, but that's what's going on here. In fact, even this past Wednesday, I had a guy in our church come up to me, a brother, and said, we've spent 13 chapters talking about some of the deepest theology and love of God, and now we're talking about vegetables. What's going on, right? That doesn't make sense. Because in our context, this doesn't make sense. We don't understand the complexities of what's happening in this, in this passage and in the church. And so, for sake of time, I won't go into all the details, but basically what's happening is in this church, there are Jewish believers and there are Gentile believers. And we've spent a lot of time in Romans 9 through 11 talking about some of the tensions there, uh, about their, how they're accepted by God and the law and all those kinds of things. 
But what's happening in this church is you have believers who are Jews, and a Jewish believer, having grown up in their heritage, would prioritize worshiping God through the keeping of God's law, the, the, the Torah, the Old Testament, especially the first five books of the Old Testament. And in God's law, there were practices that God's people were supposed to do in order to worship God. There were certain things they were supposed to eat and certain things they were supposed to abstain from eating. There were certain things they were supposed to drink and certain things they were supposed to abstain from drinking. There was a day, the Sabbath day, that they were to worship, and that day was different from all the other days. And so these are genuine believers. They've placed their faith in Jesus. They're trusting in Him, not their works, not the, the law, not the sacrificial system. But in their faith, in Christ, they are still practicing these traditions. Very similar, if you want to go back for some context, you can read Daniel chapter 1. Daniel and his friends get shipped off to, to Babylon, uh, and they are told that they're going to eat what the king tells them to eat. They're going to eat the meat. They're going to drink the wine. And Daniel says, hey, can we not do that? Can we do something else? Test us for a few days. And what Daniel's doing is the exact same thing that's happening here. He's saying, I, I, I've not been called to eat and drink these things. And what Paul is saying is, these believers, ultimately, this is an issue of faith. Their faith is, is tied to an old way of thinking, and it's not wrong. Their heart motivation is right, but they have freedoms that they're not walking in. Well, there's these other believers who aren't practicing the same thing. They're Gentile believers, so they're frustrated with these Jewish believers. And these Jewish believers are frustrated with the Gentile believers. So this is now a gospel issue. It's a unity issue that's happening in the church. And what Paul is saying is your brother is grieved by what you eat. You're not walking in love. Therefore, but rather decide not to put a stumbling block in front of your brother or your sister in Christ. So he's saying choose something better. Don't just stop judging them, but instead choose not to put a stumbling block, not to put a hindrance in front of them. Hang with me for just a second. This is, this is important as we walk through this text. So when it says, do not pass judgment on one another, but rather decide, that word decide in the Greek is the exact same word as judgment. So Paul's using a play on words. He's saying, instead of judging one another, make a different kind of judgment. And that different kind of judgment is to decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in front of another believer. And that word stumbling block, it literally means obstacle. So we don't want to put obstacles in front of one another's faith. And if you've ever seen an obstacle course before, you know what an obstacle course is. You're trying to get past and over and around things to get to an objective. Paul's saying we don't want to put up obstacles that keep people from following God. And then that word hindrance literally means snare. Don't set a trap for other believers. That there's a way that if we operate in our freedoms for the sake of our freedoms, we set a trap for other believers to fall into, not intentionally, but unintentionally. And so Paul's saying, just avoid it altogether. Love your brother, love your sister more than you love your freedoms. Why is he saying this? Is he saying this because practicing our freedoms is wrong and sinful? Well, verse 14 answers that question. I know and am persuaded in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself. So Paul's saying, no, it's not wrong to practice your freedoms, but verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, 
you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So what Paul is saying here is that the why is that we are not to knowingly grieve a brother or sister even if we have freedom to do something. Because when we choose to do something that we know hurts someone else, we are no longer walking in love. When we prioritize ourselves over others, we are no longer walking in love. This past week uh, was fall break for our family, and you know, we kind of stayed here and did some different things. One of the things that we did uh, is we went and had family pictures taken. Uh, again, not like my most favorite thing to do in the world, but it is something that we do. And uh, we did what all good parents do. We bribe our children during that time. So, you know, you want them to smile. You want them to stay engaged. And so Katie had purchased some Smarties, but they weren't just normal-sized Smarties. They're like massive quarter-sized Smarties. It's like a whole pack of Smarties in one Smartie kind of thing. And so you smile, you listen, you get a Smartie, you pay attention, that kind of deal. So we were leaving, and uh, they asked they could have some more, so I passed the, the pack of Smarties back and there are four children, and there are five Smarties left. So everyone gets one, and then there's one. And you would have thought that that Smartie was the last life vest on the Titanic, right? Like everyone is fighting for the last Smartie. And so one of the rules in our house, one of the things that, that we talk about a lot, my wife talks about this all the time, is people are more important than things. People are more important than things. We love others. We put others First, and this is what Paul's saying. Why do we do this? Why would we sacrifice our freedoms for the good of other people? Because, and here's the reason, because we are family. We're family. And we prioritize, we love our family more than we love our freedoms. In fact, there's four times in three verses Paul uses the word brother here. And he also uses the word one another in this text. And he's doing it to emphasize something. We change the way we live. We live sacrificially. Why? Because we're family. We love one another more than ourselves because we're part of the family of God, because we're part of something bigger than ourselves. So how do we do this? How do we love others, love one another more than our freedoms? Second big idea. To walk in love, we must prioritize building one another up over pleasing ourselves. This is really the emphasis of this passage. We prioritize building one another up, encouraging one another in our faith, helping others become more like Christ, than prioritizing and pleasing ourselves. And guys, let's just be completely honest. This is not natural to us. Everything in us wants to please ourselves, live for our own comfort, live for our own identity, lift ourselves up, feel good about ourselves. But Paul's saying there is a better way. The gospel calls us to a better way. And that's to prioritize helping other brothers and sisters in Christ become more like Jesus, love God more, love the word more, walk by faith, not by sight. Those things are more important than pleasing ourselves. Walk with me through the next few verses uh, together. If you have your Bible open. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. So Paul's talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God all the time. The Beatitudes, Matthew 5 through 7, are all about the kingdom of God. And Paul's saying, hey, we're living for a different king other than us, and we're living for a different kingdom other than our own. We are living for King Jesus, and we are living for his kingdom instead of ours. Amen? 
For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, listen to this, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul's saying it's not about what we eat, it's not about what we drink, it's not about prioritizing the things that we like or even our form of worship. The kingdom of God is about walking in the Spirit. It's about the things that lead to righteousness. It's about things that lead to peace. It's about what leads to joy through the Holy Spirit. That we don't live for my kingdom, we live for thy kingdom. We live for God's kingdom over our own. So look at the practical implications of this in verse 18. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Verse 19. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. So then... Let us pursue. Again, this is a pursuit. Instead of pursuing our own freedoms, pursuing our own pleasure, pursuing our own building ourselves up, we pursue the building up, the strengthening, the edifying of God's people. We prioritize others' faith over our own comfort. This is what he's saying. And this is a beautiful thing. This is what it means to be living in the family of God. Um, let me just give a few examples of this. Uh, one would be in areas of freedom. So maybe there's something that you have freedom to do that another brother and sister feels like is wrong in their faith. Uh, it's not right for them. One of the freedoms that, that I believe that we have, that my wife and I have chosen to lay down, is we don't, we don't drink alcohol, not of any kind. The reason why we don't do that is because we don't want to be tempted by it. We don't want to be a temptation or stumbling block to any other believer. And so we gladly lay that down. Well, one day I was having a meal with another brother in Christ who he sees his freedoms a little differently than I do. But before we ordered anything, before the waiter ever came, he asked me, hey, do you drink? And I said, no, I don't drink. And here's why I don't drink. He said, okay. Um, and he in his own freedom, maybe he would have had the freedom to uh, order alcohol or do something like that. But you know what he did? He didn't. Why? Because he didn't want to be a stumbling block to me. He didn't want to do anything that would cause me to stumble. He didn't want to do anything that would cause me to feel insecure. And so he laid down what, for him, he felt like is a freedom in his area for me. That's a practical implication on a, a, a heavy issue, one that we wrestle with in our culture. And I'm not going to take the time to dive into is alcohol wrong and all those kinds of things and we can in another forum or if you want to come behind a message this week and ask that question we can wrestle through that question we did a little bit this past week but the point is this a brother loved me enough to ask the question and chose to not pursue his own pleasure he chose to prioritize my faith another example life group do you know that you and i we have freedom not to go to a life group there's no passage in the Bible that says, thou shalt attend a life group or else thou shalt be condemned for all eternity. Like that's not in your Bible or my Bible, right? Why do we go to a life group? Why do we pursue that? My wife has done that, has prioritized life group for the last six years every single week. Why do we make that a part of our lives? Because we go to life group not to get something but to give. We don't go because it fulfills a need in our lives. We are blessed by it. We, we are encouraged by it. But we go because we want to help the other brothers and sisters in our lives love God more. We want to fight for them. We want to be with them. So we lay down our preference to stay at home on our night just with our family and do our thing to love this body because you know why? You guys are our family. You are my family. I'm not replacing my family with you. You are my family. So I prioritize my desires uh, over, or I prioritize the good of the family over my desires. 
Last week I shared the example in one of the services of Michael Card and his mentor and his mentor, um, Dr. Bill Lane, toward the end of his life, Dr. Bill lived in Seattle and Michael lived in Nashville. And Bill had invested in Michael and Bill found out he had cancer, terminal cancer. And he was in his final days and he called Michael and said, hey, I want to move to Nashville and I want to live there with you. And Bill had the freedom to stay in Seattle where his home was. He had the freedom to go move and be with his sons or daughters in his last days. But he chose to go live with Michael and Michael asked why. And Bill said this, I want to come to Franklin, Tennessee because I want to show you how a Christian man dies well. He laid down his freedom, he laid down his rights, and for the good of his brother said, I want to be a picture in my suffering and death of what it looks like to follow Jesus. This, friends and family, are just a few examples of what it looks like to say, I'm living for the building up of the faith of my brothers and sisters over pleasing myself. And I want you to see what Apostle Paul says about this. And this is beautiful, and we can't overlook how massively important verse 18 is. Look at verse 18 with me. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God. Wow. How many of you want to live a life that's acceptable to God? How many of you want to live a life that's pleasing to God? How many of you want to live a life that counts for God? This is how. He says, when we live this way, it's acceptable to God. Which should call our minds back to Romans 12.1, right? Because Romans 12.1 tells us that in light of the mercies of God, we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And what is that? Holy and acceptable to God. So Paul says, if you want to be a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable to God, Romans 12.1, this is the way it happens when we serve Christ this way. So let me say it a different way. When you, when I, sacrificially love and prioritize our faith family, you can look to the person to your left, Person to your right, I know it's a little awkward, you may not know who they are, it's okay. When you sacrifice for that person, you are acceptable to God. And not just acceptable to God, look at what he says next. And approved by men. That when we live this way, our life glorifies God and it says something to the people around us. People around you, this is so convicting. The people around you in your life know if you are living for God. They know it by the way that you love them or you choose not to. Guys, this has been so convicting to me this week. The people in your life and my life, they know whether or not we are honoring God with our lives by the way that we love them. What would people say about your love for them in this body, in your life group, in this place? I long so much for us to be a church that lives this way. For our church to be marked by this self-sacrificial kind of love for one another, living for the kingdom of God. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, Christians, you are to love one another, not because of the gain which you get from one another, but rather because of the good that you can do for one another. This is what it looks like. To be the church. Third big idea. To walk in love, we must be willing to lay down our freedoms. 
I, I love it. Paul's kind of talked around it. He's talked about it, but now he does what he does all the time. He just goes for it. Look at verse 20. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another brother stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So Paul just turns it into uh, an encouragement, exhortation to a command. Do not do this. Lay down your freedoms. If there's something in your life that bothers the faith of a brother or sister in Christ, lay it down. Leave it alone. Put it aside. Put it to death. It's not worth the life of your brother or sister in Christ. It's not worth the faith being destroyed of your brother and sister in Christ. And Paul uses another play on words here. This word to tear down or to destroy means tear down. So it's a play on words. We are to build one another up, not to tear one another down. Uh, When my kids were little, especially Camden, he loved for me to build towers just so he could knock them down. It's the most frustrating game ever, right? Like you build this nice block of towers, like, ha ha, it's beautiful, Dad, smash, you know, build it again kind of thing. Paul's saying, don't do that. That we cannot build up the kingdom of God while we are simultaneously tearing down the family of God. It's impossible. So lay down your preferences, lay down your freedoms, put them to death. Don't try to find your identity in them. Give it back to God for the good of your brother or sister in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 8, 9-13, there's a different issue. It's a meat sacrifice to idols issue. There's a different issue that's going on in the church of Corinth. And this is Paul's judgment in that issue. Sinning against your brothers, wounding their conscience when it's weak. When you do this, you sin against Christ. Verse 13, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Paul says, listen, for the good of my brother or sister, I'm laying it all down. May we be this kind of church, this kind of people. Jesus said it this way, Mark 8, 34. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. She said, the way you follow me, the way you be my disciple, the way you be my student, my follower, is you deny yourself, you take up your cross, you follow me. This is what it looks like to love one another well. Fourth big idea, we're almost finished. To walk in love, we must live by faith. To walk in love, we must live by faith. This whole chapter is less about freedom and it's more about faith look at verse 22 through 23 we'll round out the chapter the faith that you have keep between yourself and god blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for and this is the important sentence for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin Whatever does not proceed from faith and sin. So there's two things happening in this text that's important for you and I to see and wrestle with this morning. The first is this. For all of us in the room, if there's any action in an area of freedom, in an area of practice that God's Word is not clear on, 
that you feel convicted in doing, you're not sure it's right. He's saying, do not do it. If you can't walk by faith in it, that it aligns with God's word, and God's given you freedom according to his word, do not do it. It becomes sinful. But then there's a second implication, and this is really Paul's tying the whole chapter together because verse 1 of chapter 14 begins with faith, and then the end of chapter 14, this verse, ends in faith. This is what Paul's saying. You cannot walk in faith while destroying a believer. You cannot walk in faith while destroying another brother or sister in Christ. It's impossible. So if you are grabbing on to your freedom, and that freedom is causing another brother or sister in Christ to stumble, you and I are not walking by faith. We are walking by sight. And Paul's saying we want to be a people who live by faith. And faith says, I don't need my freedom, I need Jesus. Faith says, I don't need my freedom, I want to see my brothers and sisters' faith grow in Christ. In fact, you can hear the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, bringing us back to what he said at the very beginning of this epistle. Let's read this together. Romans 1, 16-17 will be on, your screen, on the screen. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And listen to this. For in it, the gospel, uh, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. What does that mean? It means that saving faith leads to a life of faith. Why? Because the righteous shall live by faith. Paul's closing out this section, this this chapter, saying, you know what, ultimately it's a faith issue. Are you going to live by faith and follow Jesus, or are you going to live for yourself? Are you going to live by faith and following Jesus, which means loving your other brothers and sisters in Christ well, or are you going to live for yourself? which leads to the last big idea and takes us to the table. To walk in love, we must follow Jesus' example of self-sacrifice. I almost kind of glanced over it, but the end of verse 15 says this, and I'll invite the team to come up. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Brothers and sisters, the reason why we live a self-sacrificial life. The reason why we love others is because Jesus loved us this way. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself out. He was rich and he became poor for your sake and my sake. And so that's why we come to the table this morning because we are remembering Christ's death for you and for me. When he had everything, he laid down his rights to love you, to love me, to God. I just want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes and We're going to respond through the table. I just want to pray for you. And even this morning, this is an opportunity for us to pause, to stop, to contemplate, to reflect, to confess, to repent of our sin against others, of our pride, and turn back to Jesus. Father, I just thank you for your word this morning, and I thank you for your example of the cross. Thank you for your sacrifice for us. Let us become a people who live and love sacrificially like you first loved us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.